Shalom, everyone, and welcome again to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And before we get started, as always, we want to give praises to our King, Yahuwah, and his son, Yahusha, the prince, but are also our king, as we look forward to one day living the life he have us to live and to one day be reunited with the both of them as well as hopefully some of our ancestors if they make it into the eternal kingdom. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the pastor Richard Washington. And this, you know, we've been going through the series, the science, I'm sorry, the destiny of disobedience. Now, a lot of you may be getting ready to get into the holiday season. You need to ask yourself, is what I'm doing celebrating this holiday, is it an act of obedience from the scriptures? Or is it an act of disobedience? Because our people, the reason why we're in this mess is because of the disobedience of our forefathers. And some of us are still disobeying what the Most High has told us to do in Scripture. So we need to start asking ourselves. And I'm not just saying you out there, but I'm even saying it for myself. That... We need to understand and uh, who we are as a people. And as we understand who we are and, uh, and embrace our scriptures, that should be a change of life as we go forward to live the life that the Most High has stated uh, for us to live. Because we, if you really know his life that he has stated for us in scripture is the best life. It results in the best life. When you don't live his life, the results are not good. Whether your diet, if you do not stick with what he has said with his diet, look at the repercussions. So with that, if you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, you can email us at the science of the covenant at gmail.com while it's live or even afterwards if you have a question or comment. So with that, Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Thank you very much, boys. What we want to do is uh, continue where we left off last week. And what we were trying to demonstrate last week was that Yeshua, our Messiah, was not a pacifist and he was not against fighting. But what we're trying to lay the foundation was that when he was talking to Pilate, he said his, his disciples or his servants would fight if they were fighting for the kingdom. And we know that the kingdom was governed by Elohim's covenant. And so since that was not something they were fighting for, then his servants on earth would not fight. But once we start coming back to his covenant and doing the things that he says do, then we are on the same page with him that if we are to fight because of the covenant, then he'll be in the fight with us. But while he was here on earth, that was not what it was about, fighting for the covenant. So when we start fighting for the covenant, we, that means that we have to be keeping the covenant. We can't just start fighting uh, the oppressor because we want to fight, but we have to come back to the covenant. And then either Elohim will vindicate us or we may get killed in the struggle but then after we come back after the first resurrection, we'll still continue that fight and 
according to the scriptures, we know that the outcome would be that we would be the victors. So with that in mind, we want to uh, look now at coming back to the covenant as we get started. Uh, let us pray. Our loving Father, again, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and to discuss your word. And we know that the battle is on the way, but we are not to fight yet, but we are to come back to your covenant so that when we do fight, it's for the covenant. It's not just to be able to fight like they do here on earth between Ukraine and Russia. They're fighting for all together different purposes in which your kingdom is about. So teach us your covenant that if we do have to fight, this is what we'll be fighting about because this is a part of Yeshua's kingdom. So as we study you out of your word this day, we ask that you would be with each listener, be with the technologist, be with me, and most of all, be with each of us that we may come back to your covenant to be able to be walking in a way that you would have us to walk. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, now our first text that we want to use is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And we want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I want to preface our remarks by reading verses 15 through 18. Okay, that's the book of Deuteronomy, verses 15 through 18. Starting with verse 15, it says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I have commanded, in that I command thee this day to love Yah, thy Elohim, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and Yah, thy Elohim, shall bless thee in the land whether thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that thou would not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. So here we are told that it was revealed to Moses that they should come back to his covenant. And if they did that, they will continue to get the prosperity and happiness that they were looking for. But he said, if you do not, then you will not be able to get the benefits when you go over into the land to possess it after you have come across Jordan because you have gone against my covenant. So this is what we want to look at is coming back to his covenant. Now that we know how we are to position ourselves to fight for the kingdom, let us consider Yah's covenant promises to us as to how he will aid us when we return to him. Now, if we are to be aided by Yah in helping us out of our plight, then one of the first things we want to do is to recognize is how did we get into captivity in the first place? How did we get there? We bound ourselves when we made a breach in Yah's covenant. From the time our first set of parents broke 
their covenant with Yah by choosing to eat that which was forbidden, the human family has been engaged in covenant breaking ever since. So naturally, it would be reasonable to say that if covenant breaking got us into this situation, then covenant keeping would get us out of this condition. And that sounds reasonable. Now that we have both looked at our condition and the pos possible causes of why we are in such, our next focus will be on how we are to get out of the plight we are in. Naturally, we can say that we can extricate ourselves by coming back to, to Yah by starting to keep his covenant. <clears throat> For after all, if we were cursed because we broke his covenant, then we should be blessed by keeping it. While this is true, however, we don't want to look at getting out from under a curse of which we have been so long under that we can just do so by starting to keep it. We don't want to be so simplistic as to think that all we have to do is keep his covenant and all our curses will be dissolved into blessings. It doesn't work that way. In other words, we are to come back to his covenant. That is true. But we want to kind of look at this situation so we can understand what we're dealing with. In coming out from under a curse, we must not only come back into compliance to his covenant, but there must also be a change in our demeanor. We refer to this demeanor change as a behavior alteration, which we call the attitudinal adjustment. We would ask the question, why would we need to change our behavior if we just start keeping his covenant? What we must understand is that while Yah's covenant is first and foremost, yet it has to be embraced by a certain attitude. If we were to embrace Yah's covenant with the wrong attitude, it would be like coming out of one type of bondage and entering into another type of slavery. We must understand that slavery involves our attitude as well as our will. One of the things that makes slavery so repulsive is its demands upon the rights of a person without one's consent. If we were to come out of modern bondage just by uh, coming back to Yah's covenant to be free from enslavement, we are in, in the slavery that we are in, then many eventually would find themselves in slavery again, even in Yah's covenant. If we really look at why we and our forefathers were enslaved in the first place, it was because in many instances, it was because they didn't want to obey the voice of Yah when he uttered his covenant from Mount Sinai and spoke to Adam concerning the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Many times we see that the only reason why Yah's people 
want to return to his covenant isn't because they really desire to keep it and be obedient and be obedient to it, but they want to do so just to get out of the condition in which they're in. See, a lot of times we don't want to keep his covenant because it's the right thing to do. We just want to get out of the condition we're in. And so if it means doing that, then we keep his covenant. But it has to be more than that. It is true that Yah told them what they would experience if they went against his covenant. However, in spite of the warnings they, like their first parents, chose to depart from the course of right. Now that we are experiencing the curses, they cry out to Yah to take them out of their plight and to free them from the pain, suffering, and enslavement they are experiencing. They know that a part of being set free from their enslavement is to come back to Yah's covenant. Certainly, if one is under oppression and wants to be free from it, would not they agree to come back to the covenant? Would not they agree to be covenant keepers? However, does that make one's motive for doing so right? What modern Israel want today is what ancient Israel wanted in the past, and that was to enjoy Yah's blessings without abiding by his covenant. When we read in the book of Judges, if you read that book, there was a number of times Yah's people cried out to him for deliverance, and he raised up a deliverer to do so. No sooner they were delivered from there, they departed again from his word. When we depart from his covenant, thinking that our lives will be for the better, it is one of the greatest deceptions Satan has put before modern Israel. Covenant breaking will never bring forth true blessings or lasting happiness. It is just not designed that way. His covenant is not designed that if you break it, that you're going to get true peace and happiness. It's not designed that way. It is uh, all true blessings and happiness comes from doing what Yah has established in his covenant. If we are simply keeping his covenant to get out of a predicament, then most likely once we we have gotten out of it, we'll return to departing from it again. The history of our people has proved this to be so. Every time he delivered his people, what did they do? They went back to covenant breaking. They went back to worshiping false Elohim, false Elohims. Sometimes we deal with our Heavenly Father as if he is another human being that we can get over on. We do what we want to do, but we expect him to bless, bless us. And with that type of mentality, what is it saying? It is saying that we want only his blessings, but we don't want to do what he says. Sometimes one might not ordinarily do, uh, uh, do his covenant, but they still want the blessings. We must not see our Heavenly Father as someone who is 
so shallow as not to see both our motives and intention for doing what we do. Now, we want to turn to another text found in Deuteronomy. Now, we want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Now, I want to look at a few verses there in 31, because what we want to look at that, that after Moses had led Israel to the promised land, he tells them what shall befall them in their future. And we read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And in that 31st chapter of, 30, uh, 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 of Deuteronomy, we want to consider verses 19 through 21. That's Deuteronomy chapter 31. And we want to look at verses 19 through 21. Now, here's what verse 19 starts off by saying. It said, Now, therefore, write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, and this song, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, that flow it with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves with waxen and waxen fat, they will, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them, that this song shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seeds. For I know their imaginations, which they go about, even now before I have brought them into the land, which I swear. So when we read this passage, Elohim told Moses to write this song and put it in the, in, in the mouths of the people. Let them understand what I'm saying. So from this passage of Scripture, we can certainly see that Yah was not in any way being deceived by the future generations as to how they would treat his covenant once Moses was no longer on the scene. So this is why there needs to be an attitudinal adjustment in coming back to Yah to keep his covenant. You see, he already knew that when Moses was taken, he, he let them know even before they did it that you're going to break this covenant again. You That's what you're going to do. I'm telling you, and I want this to be a witness in this song, and I want your seed, which would be your children, I want them to understand this as well, that you think that you're going to be blessed by breaking the covenant, and I already know that this, this is what you're going to do. And so... A lot of times we have the habit, as we've already discussed, that because Elohim does not give a speedy judgment upon the things that we do wrong, that we continue to just do the same thing wrong over and over and over again. But he's letting them know that Israel, when Moses, my servant, died, you're going to go back to doing the same thing. I'm letting you know that in advance. So let's look at the attitudinal adjustment which is needed. Interestingly, we find that Yah not only gave his word, gave in his word the condition of breaking his covenant, 
and the causes for breaking his covenant, but he also gave the remedy by which his people could come back to him. In Deuteronomy 28 and 29 speaks concerning the resort of curses. And in, in, in chapter 30, it speaks about how we can return back to him. At this juxtaposition, let us probe more into this chapter as we explore the attitudinal adjustment. You see, in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, we must return to Yah's covenant that is for certain. We must do that. As we pointed out, it was the covenant breaking which caused us to be in the plight we're in. The scriptures teach that if we return to him, he will return to us. However, what we want to consider is how do we return to our Heavenly Father for his acceptance? How do we do that? Here we are told in Deuteronomy uh, how we are to return to Yah. Now, that's very important returning because a lot of times we say, well, I'm just going to return to the covenant. Well, that's good. Now, that's good intention. But Elohim is telling you not only what you should to return to, but he's telling you how to return to him. Because if we understand how to return to him, then it's going to be more lasting than just returning to him on a superficial level just to get out of a predicament that we're in. So we want to go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we want to consider verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 1 through 3. Starting with verse 1, it says, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to man among all the nations, whether Yah thy Elohim has driven thee, and shalt return unto Yah thy Elohim, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then Yah thy Elohim will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whether Yah thy Elohim has scattered thee. So Elohim said, if you return to my covenant, then wherever you have been scattered and the mistreatment that you've, you've had, I'm going to reverse all of that. Okay. But as we look at the attitudinal adjustment, here is stated in these verses is that his people shall call to man the blessing and the curse upon them in the nations, whether Yah has driven them and returned to him and shall obey his voice according to all that he commanded them along with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Okay, so we want to look at that. What does it mean to return to him with all of thy heart and thy soul? He said, because when you do this, then he would turn their captivity. The reason why a lot of the captivity have not been turned and the curses have not been turned is because we are not following him heart and soul. You can't follow him superficially. And he said, if you do that, he will have compassion upon them and we return and gather them 
from all nations, whether he has scattered them. So if he's going to return to us and get, get us out of all of the captivity and all of the places that we have scattered, then it sounds like he's borderlining on the second exodus. But in order to have the second exodus, he has to get us back to the covenant because if we don't get to the covenant, what, what good is it to get us from all parts of the earth that we have been scattered and to get us out from all of the captivity if we're not going to follow this covenant? The whole thing is based on the covenant. But we have to come with the right attitude. Moreover, in verse 2 of this passage, it points out to us what needs to be adjusted in our attitude in returning to him and his covenant. There's a certain attitude we got to have. And he points out two basic things in our nature, two basic things which needs to be dealt with. Let us explore them in order to be in harmony with his wishes. He tells us in verses in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 30 to obey his voice with all of our what? Heart and with all our soul. It is these two components of our nature we want to consider, our heart and our soul. In the conceptualization of understanding the heart and the soul, we will examine each of them to be able to know what it is to be changed or adjusted about them. We will examine them separately so that we can see the dynamics involved in each of them, and we will start with the heart. Okay, now we're going to start with the heart, but uh, we may not get to the second thing of the soul until next week, but we want to start with what type of hearts we should have. Now, the, when the Bible speaks about the heart, just what, it, what, just what is it referring to? Now, according to both the Hebrew and the Greek, the words for heart, respectively, are, in Hebrew, the word for heart is lib, L-E-B, lib. And in the Greek, the word for heart is cardia. <coughs> now, cardia is generally the word that we have for heart in the English language. We don't use lib, we use cardia. We talk about cardiovascular exercises, cardiology, and all of that. That comes from the Greek word cardia. So the Greek word cardia has come into the English language, meaning heart. Now, cardia, uh, as, as we know it, it deals with the organ of the heart. However, when the Bible uses the word heart, as we observe, we want to consider it in an isolated way, and then we want to observe it as it relates also to circumcision. So let us focus on the biblical understanding of heart. So what we're looking at is the cardia in which we call the heart. In the Bible, the heart is spoken of as an emotion rather than as an organ in the human body. However, in some instances, it may be that the heart may be mentioned in a literal sense, but for the most part, the word heart is used in the sense of our emotions, will, or desires. So when we talk about our emotions, our will, and our desires, that's the heart. 
That's the heart of a person, what a person will to do, what a person desires to do. Those emotions are the heart of a person. It is this reference we will view the word heart of which we call the cardiac. What the cardiac is in the Bible is a container. It's a container. And what we want to understand about the cardiac is what it contains. Let us consider some text which portrays the cardiac as a container. Okay. Now, we said uh, it's a container. Okay. And we also pointed out that this container is our emotions. Okay. So the heart is our emotions, and in our emotions, there are uh, 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 in that container is our will and our desires. Okay, now let's turn to Matthew. And we'll turn to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, we want to look at a, 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 a few verses there. Matthew chapter 12. And in the 12th chapter of Matthew, we want to look at verses 34 and 35. Matthew 12, starting with verse 35. It said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart. Okay, so he's using the heart as a treasure chest. He said, a good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Okay. All right. Let me see. I mean, you also go, let me go back a little bit to verse 34. I read 35. It said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So the Bible is saying that the heart is a container, and it, it, it contains some good things, and it contains some evil things. And he's saying, how can you, being evil, be, be able to bring forth anything good. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So whatever comes forth out of the lips is coming forth out of our emotions, out of our heart. He said, how can you being evil speak good things? He said, you may be speaking it, but in your heart is evil. But So how can you speak good things and your heart is evil? And he said, only a good man can bring forth out of the treasure of his heart good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Okay. All right, now let's turn to, uh, in the same chapter, in the same book, Matthews, let's turn to the 15th chapter, and we want to look at verses 18 and 19. Matthews 15, verses 18 and 19. He said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth cometh forth from the where? From the heart. And they defiled the man. For out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So he is saying here that when you talk about corruption, corruption is where? It's in the heart. So the cardiac container, from these texts, we can deduce the things we say and do comes forth from the heart. Or we can say the things that we do and say come from the emotions, which, which is the heart. So if they come forth from our heart, then this means that our heart is a container. 
and it contains the things we talk about and the deeds we perform are all stored within our heart. Whether our thoughts or actions are good or evil, they are in the container of our heart. If our emotions comprise our imaginations and in turn our imaginations come forth from our thoughts, so basically in our emotions are our imaginations and our thoughts. Let us now examine what is in the heart and we'll refer to this part of our study as the blood substance, and we'll call this the cardio content. Now, the container is the heart, which we have pointed out, and in the heart are our imaginations and our thoughts. That's in the heart of our emotions, okay? Now, we want to look at what is in the heart, okay? Now, we want to turn to uh, Genesis chap chapter 3, not 3, but Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis 6, 5. Okay, now, here in Genesis chapter 6, and we are considering verse 5. Okay, here we read in the fifth verse of the sixth chapter of Genesis, the Bible says, And Yah saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Okay. All right. Now, the Bible says all of his thoughts and imagination, they were what? They were evil continuously. Okay. Okay. Now, we're talking, we, we, we dealt with the container, but now we're dealing with the heart. Okay. All right. Now, it is the heart which contains the what? The blood. The blood comes from the heart, okay? We are told in Leviticus, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 17. And in Leviticus chapter 17, we want to consider a couple of verses there. Okay, the first verse that we want to consider in Leviticus chapter 17 is verse number 11. Leviticus 17, 11. Now in 17, 11, we are told, for the life of the flesh is in the what? It's in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Okay, in the same chapter, we want to also read in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14. It said, for it is in the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood thereof. Whosoever eat it, it shall be cut off. So what the Bible is saying here is that the life is in the blood. Okay, now, if we have the container, which is the heart, and it has blood, then the Bible is saying that the blood has life. So when we look at uh, this, then blood is representative of life, just like Yeshua. When he said his blood covers us, it's actually saying his life covers us. When he says we are clean by his blood, it is actually saying we are clean by his life. 
because blood represents life. If blood represents life, then what kind of life does it represent? As we pointed out earlier, that our emotions are our heart, and we also pointed out that in our emotions are both our imaginations and our thoughts. So if the heart of our emotions contains the blood of life and our imaginations and thoughts that are contained in our emotions are represented by blood, and the blood represents life, then the life that is in our emotions, uh, our imaginations and our thoughts, our lifeblood is in our emotional heart, could be either good or evil. And this good and evil, which comes forth from our emotions, which is our heart, is manifested in our behavior. Yeshua said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now, the blood which comes forth out of the heart is the life which comes forth out of the emotions. So let's look at it this way as a cardio equation, the cardio equation or the heart equation. Now, the heart is what? The heart is the emotions. What's in the heart? Blood. That's life. So when we have the heart, which is the emotions, we have the blood, which goes through our thoughts and our imaginations. Okay, so if the heart is our emotions and we go through and, 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 and out of the, the emotions comes our thoughts and from the thoughts, our imaginations. So good blood would mean a good life which would produce good thoughts, which would produce good imaginations. Evil blood means evil life, and evil life produces evil thoughts, and evil thoughts produces evil imaginations. So what Elohim is trying to say to us, and he's saying it very succinctly and very clear, he is saying if we come back to the covenant, make sure that our emotions, our thoughts, and imaginations are right about his covenant. But just to try to get over on me, Elohim is saying, to just to get out of your predicament is not going to work. You'll go right back into being scattered and into captivity. If your blood is right, which means that your life is right, it means that your thoughts are right and your imaginations would be right and your heart would be right. Father, we thank you for this discourse. And as we ponder over it, that we may come back to your covenant in the way that you want us to come, that it can be a lasting thing. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Amen. Wow, so the heart is the emotion. Yeah, that's says emotions, the will and desires that we have, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of people think that, you know, just because you say that you're the children of Israel, especially in this day and age, mm -hmm. that that's good enough. But you have to return to the covenant. It's your actions and what's in your heart. Because it's interesting, because as I continue to read on about the second Exodus, 
um, one of the things that that stood out to me that was profoundly is that in scripture it states he's going to search our hearts. Yeah. So when it says we're going to search our hearts, it makes me just think that even though you may be Hebrew by blood, mm-hmm. some of you not going over into the new kingdom. I mean, well, I'm not going to say the new kingdom in the second Exodus, because I think the reason why he's searching our hearts, not all of our hearts is going to be there. Right. I think it's just like you said, that many of us want to escape the situation, the bondage that we're in, but do you really want to do it? You know, and I think, you know, that's the whole cause of him searching the hearts to see the people's true intentions. Is is your heart really with me? Are you willing to do and listen to my voice and obey my voice mm-hmm. and everything? And we saw our, our ancestors, they said yes, but <laughs> if they yep. not did what they did, we yep. would have been, we wouldn't be in this predicament now. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, but um, you know, uh, and that's the thing too it is as you said, we must return to his covenant. But it's not just the returning; it's it's how you know our attitude towards the return. Of mm, yes, that's what it is, basically. And everything, you know, and it is something that you know. How you said we, you know, we've been breaking it for so long that you know uh, the only thing that can reverse it is by actually doing Mm -hmm. but i don't think a lot of us want some of us really doesn't want to reverse it oh and and let me ask you this do you think there's a reason why some of us don't want to reverse it yeah i think there's a plethora of reasons i think one of the reasons is that a lot of people they may not want to look at this but is once they get caught up in tradition and errors and uh, and they get a slight blessing from doing not doing what he has to say, that it almost becomes a thing of, of worshiping, that they, they, they worship what, what they're doing. They don't see it as worship. But when mm-hmm. you break his covenant and do things contrary to his covenant, then you are following the evil one. And who is mm-hmm. the evil one? Mm-hmm. That's Satan. Yeah. So when you follow Satan... You have made him an idol before Elohim that you're going to follow his truth. Okay, that's what got Adam and Eve in trouble. And so I think a lot of people don't look at it from the standpoint that the things that you do and to say is actually things that you worship. Yeah. Okay, and then, then another another thing is, is this. A lot of people uh, feel that, well, I don't really have to keep the covenant. Um, I'm still being blessed. I look at y'all who keep the covenant, and I don't look like y'all no more blessed than I am. Mm-hmm. Not taking into consideration that Elohim says, he does cause his sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and sure. it rains on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. That does happen. But when you take materialistic things and put it before Elohim, that's nothing but an idol. Yeah. Because you've been blessed. He's gracious enough to bless you, uh, uh, even when you're breaking his covenant. But for our people as a whole, that's 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 not what we're getting. And so what we must understand is that, yes, I may have some blessing. Even I think I read some of that in the book of uh, 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 Deuteronomy in the 30th chapter, mm-hmm. in verse 31, that uh, when you're in the land 
when you're the land of, of your captivity and you see the blessing and the curses. See, he didn't say yet mm-hmm. when you were in captivity, you weren't going to get any blessings. He said, when you see the blessing and the curse, mm-hmm. you know, and you return to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that means that, yeah, you, you have been cursed, but Elohim said, I'm still merciful. I'm, I'm going to still give you something. I'm, 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 I'm not going to totally take everything from you. Yeah. And I think people have a tendency that if they get a partial blessing, that, uh, well, it's, it's okay. I don't have to keep the rest of the covenant. So I think number one is we, we can make our lifestyle out of an idol. And the Bible says, you know, have, you know, make no idols before him. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, is because we reason to say that because I'm blessed a little bit, then that's okay. I, I can still continue to do what I'm doing. And that's where a lot of people are. They can't let error go because of the little blessings that they are receiving on one side that they don't want the full blessing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing, you know, why wouldn't you want the full blessing? Why would you just want the partial? You know, it seemed like to me you would want the whole thing, but uh, for some reason people, they, they can satisfy with, 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 with just a partial. Yeah. But, you know, it's even like, with, with to me, just with a partial, it would seem like, uh, you know, you're still going to have to deal with a lot of the curses that was put on to Pete, your ancestors still, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, rather than the full. Because to me, the full, if you were getting the full blessing, that means you must be doing things that the Most High has asked you to do with all your mm-hmm. heart mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Right. Uh, one one thing, if you look at that uh, parable in uh, Matthew thirteen, when it talks about the parable of the uh, of the sower, mm-hmm. the Bible says when he sowed the seed, he says some of the seed that fell in the ground, it received thirty fold, and some seed it yielded sixty fold, yeah. and some seed yielded a hundred fold. So what he's saying is, do you want the thirty, the sixty, or the hundred fold? Because when they planted their crops, sometimes they got out of maybe one acre uh, so many uh, barrels of wheat or something. And some may got uh, 30, 30, 30 or more percent from the lot, others 60. But he says those who really understood and accepted his word, they got a hundredfold return from the same acre that others was getting 60 and 30 from. Now, what do you want? Do you want the 30, the 60, or the 100%? I would want the 100%. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's real interesting, though, how you brought out the heart. And I'm curious. I can't wait to next week when you bring out, you know, dealing with the soul. You oh, know. yeah. that's that, I, I found that quite, quite interesting. Yeah. The soul. Yeah. yeah. Quite interesting. Because, you know, we hear the heart in the Bible a lot, and it's not, it's just as you said, it's not describing a literal heart in most instances. It's an emotion mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Uh, we have a question. It reads, what land are the Hebrews going to in the second exodus? Oh, well, whoever's asking that question, that's that's... That's a very astute question. 
I think is very, very relevant and very important. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I think is very, very important, uh, or should I say, is it, very significant. Mm -hmm. Is relevant and significant. What it is uh, in my study, and I'm just giving you my study. <clears throat> it's not actually just going to be in in Jerusalem, even though I'm not talking about the Jerusalem over there where they are now because I really don't think that's really the place. It's not only going to be uh, uh, in Jerusalem, but if you remember, the promise was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob yeah. that he was going to return them to the land. So when you look at the land of Cana, it was it was more than just Jerusalem. It was a lot more. Yeah. So I actually think the land is going to be over in Africa. And most of your scholars would tell you that over in Africa was the beginning of the civilizations. And if they are honest, they know that Adam was not a Caucasian, and nor was he a yellow man, but he was ready. And ready is a reddish brown. He came from the earth, and that they, they feel that is the area that life began. They cannot find the Garden of Eden. No doubt it's been taken to heaven, according to the book of Revelation, because the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, or I, let me put it this way, the tree of life is in heaven, according to the book of Revelation. Okay, so when you look at the Garden of Eden, that was in Africa. Yeah. When you look at the Ten Commandments that was given on Sinai, they said that was down in, down in, down by Egypt too. And even though they divided Egypt from Africa, if you look at a, a good map, Egypt is a part of Africa. So the Ten Commandments was given, and even the covenant of his people was given in Africa. When you find the artifacts of many of the ancient civilizations and even looking up Noah's Ark, that was in Africa. Okay, and then when you look at his people who came forth in the first Exodus, that was in Africa. Mm -hmm. So everything looked like it's, it's pointing back to Africa. Even your riches and your resources that men, <clears throat> that nations have explored it. Because when you read in the Bible, it says that the gold and all of that that was in the earth, you can read about that in, in Genesis uh, chapter 2. That was all in the earth. And this is why they do how to go down in Africa to get all this gold and those diamonds because it was all in the earth down there. And they took all of the resources and embellished their country and didn't leave the Africans with anything. And the reason why that, because the Africans, or what I might say, is the sons of Ham and also uh, the Semitic people, they broke his covenant. And when they were scattered, so was their land taken from them. So when you, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you look at, look at all, all of that, I think the land that we'll be going back to is the Canaan land along with Jerusalem. Yeah, because um, I believe, uh, as I've read in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, um, it talks about a land that was that is desolate. And I think, you know, it's talking about a land that's desolate till this day that people walk by and didn't even know it's a land and he's going to revitalize it and turn it turn it back to similar to what it was in the garden of Eden. And it's interesting because, uh, 
as I've read the book of Adam and Eve, and uh, it talked about a grape being the size of a watermelon, mm. right? But then when you go to when Joshua, when they was with when Israel was scoping out the land, I think it was Canaan, right? Mm-hmm. And they went over and said it flows like milk and honey. Didn't they also bring back grapes that were the size of watermelons? Oh yeah, they, they, those grapes were. I mean, they were so heavy. They they put one one cluster uh, on 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 a sort of like a uh, uh, a two by four, mm-hmm. and two men had to carry it. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and, and you know, so I, I find it interesting. Um, that if the land is desolate and I look at the continent of Africa, which I think, even though they say, oh, Euro-Asia is huger than Africa, I don't think it is. I think Africa is way bigger than Euro-Asia. Oh, but they, um, they proved that uh, three times over. Yeah. I truly believe it's, like you said, it's, it's somewhere in Africa because most of history and mostly everything comes from Africa. And like you said, every Africa is rich in just about every mineral worlds and resources. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting too, that now that I think about it, that for some reason, Yah has not allowed other nations really to go into Africa and take it over. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though it has rich, all these rich minerals, because all these other countries, they want Africa because all mm-hmm. the gold, the diamonds, the, uh, you name it, is there, it's rich. But for some reason, Yah has not mm-hmm. allowed them to go into uh, Africa and take it over. No, because see, when we when we, when we studied the covenant, one of the, one of the things about the covenant is mm-hmm. Elohim told them to let the land rest every Shabbat, every mm-hmm. seventh day the land had to rest. Mm-hmm. Every seventh year they could not cultivate the land, mm-hmm. and every seventh forty ninth year, which was the jubilee, mm-hmm. on the fiftieth year after forty nine years, they could not cultivate the land. Mm-hmm. And the Bible tells you exactly, he says, when he took uh, his people into the Babylonian captivity, he says, all of the Sabbath that they've been working on that land, now the land can rest. Mm-hmm. Now, if they are not on that land that Elohim wants us to go back to, that land is resting. And when it rests, it's going to build up its mineral mm-hmm. resources and all of the nutrients in the soil. So when you get ready to plant, things are going to really grow because yeah. that land has been keeping the Sabbath. But see, if we hadn't broke the covenant, that land would be still producing for the people. But since they broke the covenant, they had to go out of the land. Yeah. And while they out of the land, the Bible says, now my land will get the rest that I intended to get. And as a result, when I do return my people, it will be ready for them to be able to produce a new life. Yeah. And, and you know, I, and I think I said this before, too is that I think one of the reasons, too, the land is desolate is that if I feel that land is holy in some manner. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why we was kicked, our ancestors was kicked out, because they defiled it. So if mm-hmm. that land in that area is holy, um, it's a certain standard that must be in place for you to live upon that land, which is keeping mm-hmm. the covenant. If you don't right. keep that covenant, he said, you have to go. You cannot be on my holy land. Yeah. And and another thing that I found interesting, I can't remember if I read it in scripture or read it outside, but it's, it's stated that Shem somehow understood where the Garden of Eden kind of originally was. 
And that's why he picked that land for him to dwell in and everything. And then years later, you know, once they have left, Yahuwah takes them back to the land. <laughs> then, you know, and then we get kicked out again and mm-hmm. everything. So it's to me, it's something with that area that it must be holy for y'all only allow a certain people to dwell in it. Well, that's true. And the same analogy applies to the Garden of Eden. The reason why yes. Adam and Eve had to be expulsed from there is because that was a holy place that they were in. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want them to destroy that holy place, so he yeah. expelled them from the garden. Mm. And same thing with the holy land you're talking about. He had to put them out. Yeah. And they were desecrated, so they out. But we know the Garden of Eden is not here, but we do know that that other land is still here on, on the earth. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Now that you say that Adam and Eve was put out because they broke the covenant. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors was put out because they broke the covenant. Mm-hmm. You know, it all parallels. Our, our, our king is unchanging. He He's the same. Either you do same. or you don't. Right. You know. And, and, and it's interesting how you two brought it out. And I, and I don't think a lot of people think about this. Um, and, and I think it's because you have all these religions and different beliefs where some people can get confused, but everything boils down to two, Satan and Yahuwah, one mm. or the other. I don't care what religion you part of. If it's not doing everything that Yah says, it may be halfway doing what Yah says. It's still mm. on the side of Satan. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't look at that as a people, no matter what we do. We don't des- deduce. We don't put a standard and say, okay, this is Yah's standard right here. This is Satan's standard right here. Mm-hmm. With, does this religion that I'm a part of or thinking about joining, how does this, even amongst us Hebrews who have all these camps and everything, we must measure their standard with Yah's standard. And if it doesn't meet, we have to basically say, okay, this seems even if it doesn't if it doesn't qualify everything that Yah wants me to do, it's on the side of Satan. Mm-hmm. You're right, definitely. And with that, I think we will transition into our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. Well, as we continue to talk about the covenant and everything we must do. As many of you know, we are into what some people, not for me, but some people consider this the holiday season and the traditions that they do. So I want to deal with the traditions as it comes from the scriptures of the Bible. So if you have your Bible with you, if you can turn with me to the Mark, the seventh chapter, and we are going to read verses seven through nine. That's Mark, the seventh chapter, verses seven through now. And it reads. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of Yahuwah, he hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and much other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of Yahuwah, that ye may keep your own tradition. So we see that a lot of times we need to ask ourselves, are we putting the traditions 
over what Yah wants us to do. And so, Pastor, I want to ask you, do you think we as people, we follow a lot of traditions, whether in the church, outside of the church, in our everyday life? Oh, yeah, I think our society is made up of traditions. But I think the thing about traditions that we have to distinguish is, is um, when Yeshua made this statement, mm-hmm. he wasn't saying that traditions was bad. Mm-hmm. But what he was saying is that there were traditions that were not uh, good and there were traditions that are good. Mm-hmm. Okay, now when you take, take for, exa- say for example, uh, when he was saying to them, you uh, you land aside Elohim's commandments, and you hold the traditions of men. Mm-hmm. And then he was pointing out to some to them some of the traditions that they were holding, like washing pots and cups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were traditions in the sense that they were not a part of what Elohim had told the people to do. Mm-hmm. But these are some traditions that they had built up around Elohim's word, and it was not that. Uh, people were unclean, but they were going through ceremonial cleanliness. Just like if you go to the market, you come back and you uh, get ready to eat something and you wash your hands, okay? Mm-hmm. But they were not only looking for you to wash your hands, but according to some of their traditions, you had to wash all the way up to your elbow, mm-hmm. just your hand and your elbow. And he was saying, you, y'all are taking a lot of these traditions uh and you adding on to it, and then when you add your traditions, you forget about the true word, what the word is saying, mm. and you putting your spin on it. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is not that traditions are wrong, but some of the traditions that you got are wrong. But if you are practicing true traditions that has come from the traditions of Elohim's word, it's okay because a tradition is no more than carrying on something of a past generation that uh, – you that you have been doing, mm-hmm. but he's saying your past generation is passing on to you stuff that is not from the word. Mm. But what I'm passing on from my tradition is from Elohim's word itself. So don't put your commandments and stuff. Don't put your, your traditions over what Elohim has told Moses on Mount Sinai. He said, you can't wipe that out. Mm-hmm. That's what my father has given. But what you got is what man has developed. And that's wrong tradition. But if you got what my father has given, that's true tradition. So you got good tradition and evil tradition. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask you, too. Is there a good tradition? Because I would think a good tradition is like when we keep Passover, when we keep Feast Mm -hmm. of Unleavened Bread, when we keep Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, that's Um, true. Good tradition, yeah. You know, all those are traditions that Yah has given us for Mm -hmm. us to do. Right. But I think, you know... um, Sin has brought about his own traditions mm-hmm. and has kind of muddied the waters and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they sprinkle in uh, Jesus was born on December the 25th and that we should honor that and this, that, and the third. But where does it say that in scripture? Mm-hmm. Where does it give you that he was born on the 25th and that we should honor that? It, not, it doesn't say anything about that in, in those scriptures. No, but see, on the thing about that, the, the uh, duplicity of that is, is simply this. Mm-hmm is that we'll look at the uh, Roman Catholic Church and say, well, you know, they changed the sacredness of the seventh day Saturday to the sacredness of Sunday, the first day of the week. Mm-hmm. We say it's wrong for them to do that. But then we'll, we'll, we'll jump up and take Christmas and say, we want to celebrate that. 
So how are you any different from those in whom you point out, put your finger at and say, they changed it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you changed the tradition too, because there's no way in Scripture said to remember his birth. And when she was on earth, he said, remember my death, not my birth. Yeah. And, and, and you know, um, just thinking about a lot of these pagan religions, now, in, in, in the commandments, he said we should have no graven images, no idols or anything. But when you look at just about all of these pagan uh, holidays, every single last one of, them, one of them, I believe, have some type of idol attached mm-hmm. to it. Rather, it's the in Valentine's, St. Valentine with the wings and all that. Christmas, mm-hmm. you have the mm-hmm. Christmas tree. Easter, you had an Easter egg and an Easter bunny, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Halloween, things dealing with horror and death. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, a witch on a broom and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Every single last one of them are tied to an idol. But when I look at the feast days, I don't really see any many physical objects that deal with that. It's more of as you brought out earlier, it seems like more things of the heart that you do, mm-hmm. you know, getting the leaven out of your home, um, not eating anything leaven during the time of the feast of unleavened bread, mm-hmm. dwelling in booze during the feast of tabernacles. And I'm not saying you know, dwelling in booze in a literal sense, but I think to also to, you know, cause uh, in a mental sense mm-hmm. and everything. You know, but it doesn't seem like it is anything that, you know, people go out and do. Yes, the Ashkenazi people, they do put up certain things, you know, but I think that's in response to combating uh, Christmas. Because I don't even know if, honestly, Hanukkah is, uh, I mean, it's it's even in Scripture. Well, I mean, Hanukkah is in Scripture, but the interpretation of Hanukkah uh, that they have, I don't think is there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the word Hanukkah simply means dedication. Okay. And when Moses and Solomon respectively dedicated the sanctuary and the and the temple that mm-hmm. they had constructed, that was called uh, Hanukkah, a dedication. Mm-hmm. But do you dedicate every year? Do you dedicate your temple every year? Mm. Uh, I don't see that. So some people call Hanukkah the Feast of Lights, you know, and that Yeshua attended when you read in the book of John. But I don't see where Elohim articulated that from Mount Sinai. And he says in Leviticus 23, he said, these are the uh, feasts that you should keep. And the first feast he talks about is the weekly feast of the Shabbat. And mm-hmm. then he goes on to the six, uh, seven annual feast. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say anything about Hanukkah. Mm. I wouldn't say it's wrong to keep it and and it's right, uh, wrong not to keep it or it's right to keep it. But I'm saying I don't get it from Elohim that he is admonish us to keep Hanukkah. Mm. It's just like Purim. Purim Mm. is another feast that many of them keep, but the Bible does not admonish us to keep them. They came from man. And so I'm not saying that anything that man given that you shouldn't keep. Well, I think. It, if if you want to keep something, at least it's biblical, even though man brought it in, into being, that you can look at the history of it and what it means and they can recognize it. But I don't think it's going to take the place of his true festivals. He he told us what to do. 
So if he didn't tell us to do it, then why are we doing it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wondered too, and I, I think for myself, it, it, is sin that appealing that we rather and follow things that are wrong than to do follow Yah's true commandments? Well, I think I think to that question is that uh, when we grow up, we are, we are creatures of appetite. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, things that we've been doing all along growing up uh, is the things that we uh, internalize within us. And whether it's true or false, if these are the things that we've been doing, I think there's a tendency is to follow things that we know. And when those things are wrong and it's pointed out to us, there's still a tendency to want to hold on to it, even if it's been pointed out that 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 is wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think the appetite that we have when we grow up, it becomes ingrained in us. And I think sometimes uh, it's just like uh, different layers of the earth. After so many hundreds of years, they get crystallized in the earth and then another layer on top of that one and then another layer on top of that one. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with our beliefs and our traditions that oftentimes we've been taught something and it's been ingrained in us so long and so hard. This is why the Bible speaks about the heart as being, being a stone because sometimes our thinking can become so uh, calcified or so hardened to the point that even though there is error and we know it is error, that we still don't want to get rid of it because we love it. Mm-hmm. It's like you can take some people, you know, if they really like Easter or Christmas or Halloween, even though I think the average person know that that those are fictitious days, but some of them still want to follow them because of the fact they think that they are getting so much out, out of these uh, erroneous traditions that it's so hardened in them and so much a part of them that even though they know it's wrong, they still continue to do it. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I just wondered too, would a lot of people change if they saw others were changing? Because I just wonder, is a lot of people so used to people pleasing that they don't want to be out here standing on their own, um, standing against what the majority are doing? Yeah, I think that's, I think that, that what you said right there was a key issue, uh, what others are doing. Now, you remember, uh, we go all the way back to the, uh, creation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Elohim told Adam and we was telling us, he says it's not good to be alone. Mm. And so the social factor is one of the greatest factors in the world that causes people to do what they do. This is why the market of beast is going to be so powerful mm-hmm. is because uh, they're going to say, if you don't do such and such, then you're not going to be a part of society and that's what we crave the most is to be in a part of society. And that means if you if you're not doing what we say, we're going to separate you. How are we going to separate you? You won't be able to buy or sell. Yeah. You won't be able to be to sell anything and you won't be able to buy anything. It's going to separate you from the business world. It's going to separate you from the family and individuals who don't believe like you believe. And so when you get into isolation 
from family and friends and loved ones, you 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 will say to yourself, well, wait a minute. You start rationalizing and say, well, you know, I don't think Elohim wants my family to suffer not having food and clothing and all of, all of this stuff. And so since the majority is doing it, then I, I'm going to do it too. Why? Because everybody's doing it and you feel an elation and plus you're going to get some of the benefits as a result of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so that social isolation can be a thing that cause you to do things that you know you shouldn't do because the majority is doing it. But the Bible has told us over and over again, wide is the gate that leadeth to death, mm -hmm. but many find it. But it says, uh, narrow is the gate that leadeth to life, and very few find it. So mm -hmm. in uh, Noah's day, only eight folk found it. The whole world was destroyed. During Lot's time, only a few found it. He destroyed the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, but uh, Lot's wife, she turned and looked back, and she was devastated. And only Lot and his daughters, they came out of the devastation, only a few, because people love that social relationship so much that they rather to have that than to go against the truth, even if they know that it is truth. Yeah. And, you know, um, I just forgot my thought. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah uh you know and, and it's crazy that you mentioned that we just saw that happen just a few years ago a lot mm -hmm. of thing a lot of what you described uh alienation when this whole covid thing happened mm -hmm. you know we we saw that you know close to not buying and selling and how many people was out there to go and get the jab because they said, you know, you should get it and whatnot. Mm -hmm. you know, so we saw some of the beginnings of what's to come. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Definitely. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? I love and Father Gang. We thank you for the discussion we had and for the discourse that we've listened to. May all of these things help us as we develop character for you to be able to walk in obedience to your word, that we can be attentive to your voice. Your voice was heard on Mount Sinai, giving the covenant to your people. And today we are still wrestling with your covenant, whether we should do it or whether we shouldn't. Help us to settle it within our hearts, that that covenant is a true covenant to give us true blessings and true happiness, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So help us to be true to that. And as we go through this season, O oh, Heavenly Father, what many have taken the false for the true, that thou would help us to give the light of the true that they can be able to see. And may it be humble hearts out there that is willing to receive that which we have to give, that they too can become a part of the covenant, that one day we can have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So we want to encourage you to come back next week as the pastor uh, will continue with the destiny of disobedience part 13. And also, if you know if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. O Yisida Yasharil, his servant, the children of Yaakov, his chosen ones. 
He is Yahuwah Eloheinu. His judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.